ever been. I really don't believe that's true. I think the most divided time in our history was in the 1860s when we fought a civil war. We were really divided then. Everybody know what I'm talking about? And do you know what happened during the Civil War when the greatest revivals that God ever sent to America occurred? Do you know that uh, there were two men, Robert E. Lee, who's been much maligned of late, has he not? And I'm not trying to you know, correct all the things that have been said about him that are not true, but Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson, and several others that knew Jesus as, as surely as anybody in this room knows the Lord. Those men were born again, and they knew they were going to lose thousands and thousands of young men in the Civil War. So what Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson did is this. They asked preachers to leave their churches during the height of the Civil War. There were 25 preachers, pastors, some of them well-known. By the way, one of them was a guy by the name of John A. Broad wrote the greatest book on the gospel of Matthew I've ever read, uh, Matthew 24 and 25. He was more of an amillennialist than a premillennialist. So those two chapters, probably not going to do you much good, but the rest of the book was absolutely amazing. John Broadus left his church and traveled with the army of Northern Virginia to preach at night in what they called the encampments. When the day's battle was over during the Civil War, these 25 or more preachers would stand up in the Army of Northern Virginia and they would hold what was called an encampment and they'd preach the Word of God to the young men who had fought that day in battle. Can I hear an amen right there? You know what many times happened? Those from the Army of the North would cross the battle lines and come over, sit with their Southern counterparts during the camp meeting at night. They'd hear the gospel and get saved, go back across the battle lines. Next morning, brothers would meet brothers on the battlefield and if they died, they went to heaven, no matter which side they were fighting for. Are you listening to me? You say, preacher, how do you know all of this? I was at the Shiloh battlefield in Tennessee many, many years ago, preacher, and I picked up a book. I'd never even heard of it. It was called Christ in the Camp. Christ in the Camp, subtitle, Religion in Lee's Army. And it was written by an old Presbyterian preacher by the name of J. William Jones. And he basically just chronicled what he saw as one of the camp evangelists. And he describes, and I'll just share this much with you, he describes one night sitting down, having dinner with the great Stonewall Jackson, and I'm going to quote J. William Jones directly. He said, matters of the war were scarcely discussed. He said, all that the great general wanted to talk about is we need more preachers. We need more preachers because these young men are going to die by the thousands, but we need more preachers to make sure that they are prepared for eternity. Boy, that's something, isn't it, for a general? And it is estimated by J. William Jones, by the time he completed the book, that over, you're hearing me correctly, 200,000 young men just from the Army of Northern Virginia had trusted Jesus Christ as Savior during the most divided time in our nation. And it, who knows how many came to the Lord from the Army of the North. How, by the way, there's a song we sing a lot. We do it you know, typically around uh, the, the 4th of July or a patriotic Sunday, but there's a song that chronicles those encampments. Listen to it. I have seen him in the watchfires of a hundred circling camps. They have builded him an altar in the evening dews and damps. I can read his righteous sentence by the dim and flaring lamps. His truth is marching on. That is a testament to those encampments that were held during the height of the Civil War. By the way, that's where the term camp meeting comes from. 
What happened during the Civil War? And God moved at the most divided time in the United States of America. That's why I am not discouraged by what I'm seeing in my country. I am very encouraged because God many times revives in the midst of terrible times and times of great division. He brings about a great spiritual unity in the nation. And I'm trusting God to do that right now in the United States of America. By the way, one final thing I want to share with you. Three miles from here, Brother uh, Jones and I tonight met at Moss Chapel. How many of you know where Moss Chapel Church is? All right, you probably know the story. Maybe you don't. I knew nothing about it. I've been a student of revival uh, all over the world and all over the United States. I did not know that in 1802, a revival broke out right near that little church. In fact, from 1797 to 1799, Francis Asbury, who was the founder of the old time Methodist church, when they preached the gospel, can I hear an amen right there? When he founded that church, he spent two years right here in this area of North Iredale County. And then he left and that church was formally established uh, in 1800. Two years after that church was formally established, a revival hit in a four day meeting and the Holy Spirit descended on that little area and a genuine move of God came right here to this area. By the way, we had a prayer meeting in that church this afternoon about 530. It was absolutely amazing. I want to encourage you to go over there sometime and just walk through the property and walk in the building and God used an inauspicious place. I mean, a place unknown to people in the world, but known in the annals of heaven. And God birthed a revival right here in this area. And I'm praying, oh God, just do it again. God, do it again. And I couldn't help but think this. Maybe, maybe this is why God's got Calvary Baptist Church of Union Grove strategically located right here. And he's doing something in this place. Wouldn't it be awesome if in the year 2020, early part of 2021, right from here, God just birthed a revival that spread all across the United States of America. And I know what you're thinking. Well, nobody really nationally and internationally really knows where Calvary Baptist is. Look, God specializes in taking the unknown to make his name known. That's what he's always done so that the glory can go to the Lord. And if I've been in a place in a long time where I believe the people want and the pastor sincerely wants all the glory to go to the Lord, it's right here at Calvary Baptist Church. So folk, you're ripe for revival. Are you listening to me? You're ripe for revival. And what God has been doing this week, I believe is the start of it. And all I'm trying to do, preacher, just fan the flame. That's all I'm trying to do, just fan the flame of what God's already been doing here, what he wants to do in the future. And I'm praying tonight as a result of our few moments together, we'll be shot out of a cannon, ready to just let the Lord use us in the days ahead. And so I want you to know I love you, folk. I mean that. I wish I did have an arm long enough on the left and right to go down each outside aisle, meet in the back, give you a group bear hug. I mean, I do that because I've just grown to love you folks so much since I was here back on July 5th and then now I have the opportunity to be here this week. So I assure you that I'm praying for you and I, I plead and I beg for your prayers for us. We've got a lot going on. I mean, a lot going on. A lot of irons in the fire. And were it not for great people that are on our ministry team and people that are support to our ministry, uh, we, we just could not get it done. And while I'm saying that, I just want to recognize one friend of mine that's here tonight, Jeff Parks. Would you mind standing, my brother? I know you don't want me to do this, but turn around. This is my dear friend, Brother Jeff Parks. And we got acquainted, I think, initially on Facebook. And then he came to hear me preach uh, over in, uh, I think, in Hildebrand, North Carolina, First Baptist, first time we met face to face. But my brother Jeff's been a blessing to me. He's been a blessing to our ministry. He's been a blessing to our Fourth of July event called United We Stand. And uh, I love you, brother. And he drove all the way from Spartanburg, South Carolina to be 
here tonight. He was actually business in this immediate area. And my brother, Dan, if you're watching tonight, he, brother Jeff said, he drove all the way from Spartanburg. You couldn't drive from Hickory. Why in the world are you not here? But anyway, I just had to get that off my chest, brother. But anyway, uh, I praise God for him. Praise God for you being here, no matter where you're from. If you're a member of this church, you're blessed. You're richly blessed uh, by the opportunity to attend a church like this. And it's been my honor and privilege. Preacher, thank you so much for the invitation to be here. I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, please. And I want you to look, if you would, uh, all the way back into the book of Romans in the New Testament. Romans chapter number 12, if you would, please. And I'm going to beseech your rapt attention while I try to lay the foundation very quickly for where we're going to go very briefly tonight. And I mean that with all my heart. I'm going to do, you know, do as much as I can to be as brief as I possibly can. But I want to be here long enough to let God speak and let God work. And I want to show you something the Lord showed me from Romans chapter number 12. In Romans chapter number 12, which by the way is not an unfamiliar passage of scripture to most people. In Romans chapter number 12, there are three relationships that we as the believer have that are mentioned in this chapter. You say, Brother Dave, what are you talking about? All right. Number one, if you just want to jot this down, uh, just, just put this down. The believer's relationship to the Lord, our relationship to our Lord, that is mentioned in Romans 12 verses one and two. You say, Brother Dave, why would you say that? Look at Romans 12 verse one. I beseech you therefore, brethren, Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write these words. I beseech, I be beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. This is my relationship to my Lord. What does God want from me? He doesn't want a dead sacrifice. He wants a living sacrifice. Can I hear an amen? Present your bodies a living sacrifice to the Lord. Look at the rest of it. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your, and I love this word, your reasonable service. Hey, listen, what Jesus did for me and saving my soul, what he's done for you, it's only reasonable that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice back to him. That is not an unreasonable thing. By the way, it is not an unpleasant thing to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Preacher, listen, some people walk around like they look like an advance agent for an undertaker. I don't know what's going on with them. Serving God's awesome. I'm just going to tell you. You say, preacher, something wrong with you. No, there's nothing wrong with me. I just want people around bursting my bubble. I'm having the time of my life right now. More fun than I've ever had. And I've always loved the ministry, but I love it immensely right now. God is good and serving him is just reasonable. After all he's done for us, which is your reasonable service. Look at verse two, Romans 12, and be not conformed to this world. Now, don't you look up at me for just a minute. Formed means shaped. Con means after or with. Everybody with me? Form, shaped, con, with or after. In other words, what the world is trying to do to us, young people, mom, dad, the world is trying to put its imprint on us. You've ever watched somebody who really knows how to make cookies, take a cookie cutter, put it in dough and flip the cookie out, you know, and just keep going down the dough. What the world is trying to do us, preacher, is make us look like it looks. Shape us after or with its appearance. Make us respond just like they do. Only problem is this, we're not like the world. Can I hear an amen? We're different. Be not conformed, shaped after this world, but be ye, look at the next word, say it out loud, be ye what? Transformed. Now may I give you an illustration, watch. Trans means a cross, a cross. By the way, I played some uh, high school football. In fact, I played a lot of high school football. My brother was a quarterback. I, I wish, again, you guys could meet him at some time, but he's still as thin as he can be. I told you the other night, but in high school, if, if he'd have been a little heavier, he could have played division one college football because he could throw a football 60 yards in the air as a high school student. And uh, I was a receiver and he pretty much 
much, say, Dave, you just go long. And that's what we'll try to make happen. If I could get underneath it, he could throw it out there 60 yards. But anyway, he would get up under center and he'd call the play and the coach would say this, what you're going to do is take the ball out from there and you're going to fake to a running back. And if the running back you know, doesn't exactly right, he's going to look like he has the football. He's going to be running this way. Hopefully the defense will follow the fake. And then Dan, what you're going to have to do though, you can't throw the football. You're going to tuck it and you're going to run. Watch this. Cross grain to what everybody else is doing. Everybody else going that way. You're going this way. Are you hearing me? And hopefully you're going to get into the end zone. See, transform means a cross. What we ought to be doing as Christians is running cross grain to the world. Are you listening to me? The world's going that way. We're going this way. Are you with me? Be not conformed, shaped after, shaped with this world, but be you transformed, watch the rest of verse two, by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. The word prove means discover, discern. Approve is a good synonym. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? So Romans 12, one and two is my relationship as a believer to my Lord. Is everybody with me? What I owe him is just reasonable service considering all he's done for me. And you know what, folks? He's done a lot and he's done a lot for you as well. Now, having said that, I want you to look down at the second thing. Now I'm jumping to the end of the chapter because I'm saving the middle part of the chapter for last. Romans 12, 1 and 2, the believer's relationship with his Lord. Number two, I want you to see the second relationship we have, and that is this, the believer's relationship to a lost world. The believer's relationship to a lost world. That starts at Romans 12, verse 17. Now buckle in tight. I want you to watch. These are powerful verses. They're life-changing verses if we'll actually live them. Look at verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Can I repeat that? Recompense to no man evil for evil. See preacher, it is our human nature. When we've been wronged, we want to retaliate. Is everybody with me? Don't do that. Why not preacher? Because if you do, then you take the responsibility on yourself and you eliminate God from doing what he can do better than you and I can ever do anything. You say, what are you talking about? Look again at verse 17. Recompense, reward to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Look at verse 18. If it be possible, the implication being that sometimes it's more difficult with some people than others. If it be possible as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Can I hear an amen? Folks, listen, listen, I'm just being honest and I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but their initials are NP. There's people in Washington, D.C. Some of them are a little more difficult to live with than others. Everybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, you meet them out on the street, brother, and they're just a doting grandmother. But you meet them inside the Capitol, you wonder where she parked her broom. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Preacher, do they get on your nerves? Yes! But you know what? They need the Lord. That's their biggest need. Can I hear an amen? Hey, you and I weren't much before Jesus got a hold of us either. So don't you recompense to any person evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. As much as lies in you, if it be possible, live peaceably with all men. Some people may have to work a little harder on that. But as much as we can, we ought to live peaceably. Look at verse 19. It gets very specific here. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Somebody does you wrong, don't you take it on and you try to enact revenge yourself. Avenge not yourselves. Why, why, why should I not do that? Look at the rest of it. But rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Can I hear an amen? Preacher, if I try to do it, I eliminate God's opportunity to do it. Are you listening? 
You say, preacher, you've never had any trouble. You don't even know what you're talking about. You don't think. (laughs) Have any of y'all ever had for 36 hours nonstop merely because you took a biblical stand on something and tried to do it joyfully? Have any of you had your phone ring every 10 seconds for 36 hours straight? Have any of you ever been sent, I'm not trying to be gross here, an encased bag of human feces and a note that says this, I hope you die, I hope you get AIDS and die. Any of y'all ever had that? Any of y'all ever had your life threatened? I've had all the above and a lot more. You say, preacher, I don't get it. You're a nice guy. I don't get it either. I am a nice guy. Preacher, at least I try to be. (laughs) Here's the deal. Don't avenge yourselves. Don't take it upon yourself. Let God deal with it. Can I hear an amen? Now, let me show you something. 24 almost now years ago, my wife and I bought a house in Conley Springs, North Carolina. Uh, Up until that time, we had lived in a 40-foot long by 8-foot wide trailer. And again, you know, tiny little bathroom in that trailer. Don't even have room in there to change your mind, much less change anything else. I mean, just a tiny little thing, but that's where we lived. Great thing about a trailer is this. You never have to mow a yard. I mean, every week, the church had the yard mowed for us, preacher, just the way it was, and it was awesome. But we buy this house, you know, and so, you know, uh, know, and I'm I'm not complaining. I love it. It's a great place, you know, a nesting place for the ladies, you know, and the wife has to have that. And I'm so thankful for all of that. But two weeks into buying that home, we had a backup from our septic tank. Now, have any of y'all ever had that? Okay, that is not a pleasant experience. Can I hear an amen right there? And I got to thinking, you know, what in the world is going on? Well, anyway, we called a guy, he came out and he said, well, preacher, he said, it has to do with your septic tank. He said, what I think's going on is this. He said, I think you've had some roots or something get into your drain lines. You know, it flows and all the stuff flows, you know, from the house in the septic tank, septic tank fills up. He goes into drain fields, at least two of them. And he said, I think what's happened, you've had some roots, you know, grow in your drain lines. And he said, what I'm telling you is to solve this, I mean, really solve it. You're going to have to probably put in some new drain lines. And I thought, well, you know, how much is that? And preacher, you know, we just bought the house. So he starts telling me how much that is. And I said, man, that's outrageous. And he said, well, he said, what's odd to me is this. You've only lived here two weeks and it it did this. He said, the prior owner, the seller, it seems to me would have to know that he had a problem. He said, what about your signing? You know, when you sign and you don't sign all the paperwork, there should be a disclosure statement in there. I said, yeah, let me pull all that out. Well, we pulled all that, looked at it. Sure enough, there's a disclosure statement. If there's anything wrong with the house, they're supposed to acknowledge that on the disclosure statement. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Well, they didn't acknowledge anything. So what they were claiming is we don't know of anything wrong with the house. And this guy said, but it seems to me he would have to know there's a problem because this just doesn't just happen after you've bought it. This is something that's built up for a while. Well, anyway, long and short of it is, I thought, well, what do I do next? He said, well, you're going to have to get a permit, you know, have to go down to the city, you know, and all that kind of thing, county, and get a permit to have new drain lines put in. So I'm walking through all of that process. And the first step was to call the county inspector and say, I need to submit an application, you know, for where my friend is drawn, where, where new drain lines can go, and you guys have to approve it. So I called down to Morganton, North Carolina, and I'm going through the whole thing with the county inspector. And he said, what's that address again? And I gave him 28, you know, and the rest of the address. He said, "Uh, sir, forgive me, but he said, somebody's already submitted an application for additional drain lines from that address. I said, oh, really? Well, when did they do that? He said, about six months ago. I said, oh, really? What was the man's name? And it was the seller. So he knew he had a problem. Is everybody with me? He didn't disclose that. That's against the law. You can't do that. He said, sir, what I would suggest to you is this. You need to see an attorney. 
I said, well, I will, but I said, I'd sure like to have a copy uh, of his submission, you know, for drain lines. He said, yeah, it's right here. He said, I'm looking, it's got a schematic drawn on it and everything where he wants to put the new drain lines. I said, can I come and get a copy of that? He said, no, sir, you can't, but I'll drive right to your home and give it to you. <laughs> if you work in construction, you know they don't typically volunteer to do that. You know what I put two and two together and figured out? This guy was a, a professional construction guy that we bought the house from. I think he had done something, you know, in a commercial development situation that had gotten the county upset and they were looking for an opportunity to deal with him. He said, I'll drive to your house. And he did, drove 20 minutes to our house, handed it to me. Everybody understand what I'm saying? Take it to an attorney. The attorney says this, I'll never forget. He said, preacher this, and he made this gesture. This is a slam dunk. I said, what's that mean? He said, look, he said, this is, I mean, it's as easy a money as you and I will ever make. Notice that you and I will ever make. And I, I thought I was going to, you know, he said, no, you know, I've got to have a little bit. And it's the easiest money that you and I will ever make. I said, why's that? He said, because he signed a disclosure statement. He lied on the disclosure statement. You can't do that. That's against the law. And he said, and, and if he's a commercial builder, which he was, he said, if he's done this before, if he's done this to somebody else, he said, you, Mr. Kistler, and of course him, he's thinking him too. We can recoup treble damages. And have you ever heard that term treble? It means triple damages. I mean, if it costs five grand to get it repaired, and he's, but he's done it to somebody else, we can actually recoup from this guy 15 grand. Are you listening to me? Brother Charles, I'm going, you know, I'm going, what can we do with 15 grand for the ministry in those days? Can I hear an amen? He said, slam dunk. I said, okay. He said, well, what you need to do is you need to sign right here. Give me permission to start working on this. I said, hang on just a second. Here's my dilemma. And I said, sir, you're not going to understand this, I'm sure. And boy, didn't, did he not understand it. I said, the guy we bought the house from is a professing Christian. And you know, the Bible is pretty plain about not going to law against your brother. Can I hear an amen? I verbalized that, Miss Tammy, my sweet bride. She's awesome. But here's what she said. She said, he's not acting like a Christian. <laughs> And he wasn't. He's lying to us. I said, sweetheart, I understand that. But I said, here's the deal. He professes to know the Lord. So I'm very uncomfortable because I don't want to violate the scriptures. Taking him to law. The guy looks at me, the attorney, and goes, slam dunk preacher. Easiest money we will ever make. I said, I understand that. But I said, hey, can we just send a letter to him? And just kind of, you know, say, you know, we're aware of the problem, but it's on your stationery and that knows it, you know, he knows it's an attorney and you know that we're, can we just, he said, yes, we can do that. But <laughs> I said, okay, let's do this. Let's just send the letter and that's where we're going to let it go. You know what that guy did? He looked at me and said, preacher, not trying to be unkind, but you are a fool. In fact, he didn't just say fool. He said, you are an expletive deleted fool. Now, that's not the way to get on my best side, just to be honest with you, okay? I said, look, I know you don't understand this, but no amount of money is worth disobeying God for. No amount of money is disobeying God, worth disobeying God for. He said, okay, buddy, you're on your own. I'll send the letter. You'll pay me for that. That's where we draw our line. We end the relationship there, which is what we did. Preacher, here's the thing. He didn't respond to the letter, 
So what we did, because we were on the road a lot, traveling in our fifth wheel trailer, and we were only home a lot around Thanksgiving to Christmas, you know, until the first of the year. So every time we were home, if we had company in, you know, that septic tank would fill up, you know, and it, to keep it from backing up, we'd always have it pumped out right before the holidays. So every year, once a year, we'd pay to have the septic tank pumped out. And I don't know, it wasn't a huge amount of money, but it was some. And so we did that and just lived with it until I was over in Salisbury, North Carolina several years back and I was talking to a guy just like I'm looking at you on the front row and one of my friends named Bobby stepped up and he was just listening, waiting for a chance to talk to me and I just mentioned something this guy said, you know, look, I, I've got to do something at some time, you know, about our septic tank and, you know, we've got an issue with the drain lines, at least that's what I'm told and so anyway, I don't even know how that came up but Bobby overheard that and when that guy left me and Bobby stepped up, he said, hey, I was going to talk to you about something else but he said, what's the problem with the drain lines? Well, I began to explain to him everything I just explained to you. He said, look, I've got a bobcat. He said, are you in town Saturday? Saturday? I said, I am. He said, how about I bring my bobcat up on my trailer? He said, I'll go by and I'll pick up a baffle system, a baffle drain, drain field. So anybody know what that is? I mean, I, he was talking about it. I, I have no clue really, but anyway, he said, I'll pick up that baffle. That's the way they do it now. And he said, what I'll do is I'll install it. And he said, all you'll have to do is pay for the, the baffle system, you know, the, 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 the product itself. You're not, I'm not going to charge you anything for my labor. And he said, I think I can get new drain fields in, in, in an afternoon. If I start early in the morning, I can get it done by the afternoon. How's that sound? I said, man, that's awesome. So sure enough, Saturday morning, eight o'clock, Bobby shows up with his diesel pickup truck, big trailer backs his bobcat off of there. He says, where's your, uh, where's your septic tank? And I showed him and he, you know, he's digging all that up and it was hot as fire. It was in August and I'm out there, you know, brother Brown, I'm just got a shovel. I'm, I'm not doing much. I'm just trying to contribute, you know, cause I believe if he's there, I ought to be there too. And you know, I'm trying to, and it's hot and I'm sweating like a racehorse. And all of a sudden he shut down that bobcat, jumped off and came and stood over the hole. He said, preacher, look, I said, yeah. What are we looking at? I mean, I didn't know. He said, there's your problem. I said, what's the problem? He said, it's your junction box. Folks, here's the junction box. The stuff flows out of your house into the septic tank, comes out of the septic tank when it fills up, and a junction box will send it one of two directions or two directions at the same time. He said, there's your problem, the junction box. I said, what's wrong with it? He said, it's been crushed. He said, it's got a concrete lid on it, but it's been crushed. He said, it means your drain lines are blocked because of the crushing of the junction. He said, what I'm telling you is your drain fields are probably fine. If we just replace the junction box, everything's going to be okay. I said, no kidding. I said, how much is that? He said, we're going to go down to Home Depot. We'll get us one. What he used was, brother, it's one of those milk crates, the plastic milk crates, you know, and he used that as a junction box, cuts holes. You'll put the drain connections there. And that's been, I don't know how many years ago, we've never had another problem. Can I hear an amen? My wife said, honey, why didn't we get him up here, you know, years ago? <laughs> Here's the deal. God took care of it. Can I hear an Amen. amen. Now, I'm not saying there's never a time you don't seek legal advice. I'm not, that's not what I'm, I am saying this. In our heart, folk, we got to let go of stuff. We got to let go of stuff. If somebody's wronged you inside this church, the only one you're harming is you. See, preacher, now I got an awesome story to tell, don't I? Because I let God do it. But here's the thing. God showed himself true. Don't avenge yourself. I will pray. And here's the problem. The guy that treated us that way has lived ever since he sold that house, hell on earth. Because God's been dealing with him. You're right. And you know what? If I'd have tried to deal with him, God had taken his hands off. But because I leave it in God's hands, he is way better at righting the wrong than we are. Amen. Wow. My relationship to a lost world. Vengeance is mine, God says. You let me deal with it and I'll repay. 
saith the Lord. So Romans 12, 1 and 2, my relationship to the Lord. Romans 12, 17, all the way down to 21. By the way, look at verse 20. Boy, boy, the Lord gets real, real specific, doesn't he? This is to a lost world. Look what he says. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, do what? Feed Feed him. If he thirsts, do what? Give him to drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Look at verse 21. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Can I hear an amen? Let God take care of it. My relationship, Romans 12, 17, 21 to a lost world. Now, sandwiched in between those two relationships is the third relationship. Romans 12, 3 through Romans 12, 16. Verses 3 to 16, the believer's relationship with other believers. (laughs) You see, how do you know that's what it's dealing with? Look at verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, talking about the body of Christ, comparing it to the physical body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace of God that is given us, whether prophecy and then he lists all these gifts. And every one of us has been given a different gift because we're different members in the body of Christ. Can I hear an amen? Hey, we don't all look alike. Every member of the individual physical body is not alike, thank God, because they all perform a different function. What I'm trying to say is this, what God wants us to do in the body of Christ is to fulfill our position. See, some people are a face in the body of Christ. Preacher, you're a face because you're up here. You're visible. You're a preacher. I may be more of a face because I'm visible. and I'm up. But some people, they're not faces, they're feet. You say, what do you mean? I mean, they're unseen. By the way, I hate it when I go in a house and they say, take your shoes off, preacher. Brother Jones, I always want to say, you don't know what you're asking for. You just do not know. <laughs> I mean, we try to keep the feet covered up, socks on them, shoes on them, and heaven forbid, somebody says, take your shoes off. Because feet are considered an uncomely member, right? They're not attractive, all right? But you know what? The feet in the body of Christ oftentimes are the most important. Amen. Now I want to say something because I believe it. These guys back here, that are running this soundboard and are running all of the video and are projecting these services, literally potential to go around the world. Do you know there's great reward for those brethren in heaven because somebody watching what they were doing, projecting it this week, got saved. You say, preacher, that's fruit to your account. No, that's fruit to their account. Can I hear an amen? amen? They're back there. They get no credit when everything goes right. They get all the blame when everything goes wrong. Why would anybody want to do that? Can they hear an amen? But they do it. And they do it professionally. And they do it for the glory of the God. For the glory of God. And God is using them. They're not highly visible. But they're vitally important. Wow. Wow. Some of you wouldn't dare be caught up here publicly. You're behind the scenes. Some of you ladies are behind the scenes and you're just serving God with a passion. And you know what? You're not known. You don't want to be known. But you know what? You're so important in the body of Christ. Oh, we got to get it out of our head that it's the people that are seen that are important. No. You're right. It's the unseen ones. See, my voice goes nowhere if those guys don't get my voice out there. Are you listening to me? So I love these guys. I'll fight and die for these guys. Can I hear an amen? I will. Amen. Amen. Folk, look. My relationship as a believer to other believers 
Romans 12, verses 3 to 16. Now, we're to play our position because all of our positions are different. But I want you to look at how we're to play our position. And that's where I want to go very quickly tonight and we're done. Look at Romans 12, 11. Romans 12, 11 tells us how I'm to play my position in my relationship with other Christians. Look at it. Romans 12, 11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving who? The Lord. the Lord. Now look up at me for just a minute. Three things that tonight, preacher, I've been praying all day. God, please, please help the folks at Calvary to get what the Holy Spirit's trying to say to me and to them tonight. And Lord, help them to live in light of it. When the last amen is said tonight, folks, you and I got a choice of how we're going to live in our relationship to our Lord, in our relationship to a lost world, but also in our relationship to each other. And if I'm going to do right by you and you're going to do right by me in our relationship with each other, then we're going to have to operate according to Romans 12, 11, which means not slothful in business. Now I want to illustrate that. Would you mind helping me for just a second? Would you mind coming up and standing right? You're, you're not afraid to do this, are you? I want to ask because we're in a COVID ward, a war, world. You know what I'm saying? People are... <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, this funny thing, funny stuff happens. We're out in Wyoming. We're on a trail going up the Tetons. It's beautiful. I mean, I shared some of this with you Sunday, I think, but it's a beautiful day. I mean, just wonderful, crisp, clean air. And we're coming down and there's somebody coming toward us. They haven't met anybody else on the trail and they got a mask on. And here we come toward him and they're getting all the way over into the trees, into the woods to avoid us. I said, honey, I, I, I used deodorant today. I promise I did. <laughs> Again, have we lost our minds? Have you, been, have you been down one of the grocery aisles? And the minute you get down the grocery aisle, they're, I mean, they're plastered you know, up against the groceries on this side until you get by. Anybody experienced that? I have. Yeah. Or they've got the arrows. You got, my wife was going down the wrong way. She is going down the wrong way. It was one way, supposed to be coming this way, you know? And she just, I mean, pre-COVID, you know, you just went down there and, she, and a lady chewed her out. You're supposed to be going that way. <laughs> oh my soul. Anyway, okay, that was an aside, okay? Now watch, I wanna show you something. Not slothful in business. The word business doesn't mean like your vocational business. The phrase not slothful in business literally in the Greek means this, not lagging in your diligence. Not lagging in your diligence. In other words, if you and I are going to do right by God, if we're going to do right by each other after the last amen is said tonight, we've got to not lag in our diligence. You say, preacher, what does that mean? Now, I want you to face this direction and I want you to be Joe Baptist, okay? That's you, Joe Baptist, because you know the, the Baptist national anthem preacher is this. Not in this church, but in most churches, the Baptist national anthem is this. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I mean about anything, physically, spiritually, especially. I'm not gonna, man, I'm, I'm just gonna stay right where I, everybody know what I'm talking about? You ever been in a Baptist church where, you know, they're all sitting in the back and there's a bunch of pews up front, you know, and I, I've done this a number of times. Folk, listen, we're going to sing the first song. If you wouldn't mind, let's all move closer to the front. I shall not be, I shall not be, I shall. <laughs> so I want you to be Joe Baptist. I don't care how much cajoling, how much motivating, how much I try to inspire you, even if I do inspire you to follow me. I want you to be Joe Baptist in most Baptist churches and just stay right there. Don't move. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Now, Sunday morning. Preacher gets up. Man, we had an awesome revival week last week. Amen? Yeah. Only it's going to be better when he preaches on Sunday. Trust me. I believe that. I'm, 
Preacher, I wish I could hear you preach. I do, I do. Come back Sunday. Ha, ha, ha. If I do. Well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? <laughs> Supposed to be in West Virginia. Otherwise, I'd probably be here. But he gets up and preaches and says, now, folk, look, God's doing something in our church. And I'm telling you, we're on the threshold. We're on the threshold of God using us in this community and well beyond this community in the state of North Carolina and possibly impacting the nation. It's time to get moving. Come on, folk, let's go. And your pastor does this. And he turns around and there you are. So he comes back and says, come on now, come on, come on. Listen, listen. I mean, God's wanting to use us. He's like, perfect, perfect. God's, God's wanting to use us. Come on, we got to get moving. Let's get going. And he turned around and the congregation's still back there. You know what he's constantly doing? He's trying to get you motivated because you're lagging in your diligence. Everybody with me? Can I take you all over America? You do that well. Thank you so much, brother. Appreciate it. Let me give you one other example. Not lagging in your diligence means this, be faithful. Amen. When the last amen is said tonight, preacher, if everybody's just faithful, where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there, pumped up, ready to serve the king, it'll be amazing what God can do here. Yes, just be faithful. Amen. Don't lag in your diligence. We have six acres, Brother Brown, at our house. A couple of years ago, I figured out, you know, a tractor mower. Not the best thing to mow six acres, but a zero turn. Man, a zero turn is awesome. Any of y'all have a zero turn? So we went down to, to Lowe's and we purchased a 60 inch cut zero turn, cut my mowing time in half. Because there's no, you don't have to go to the airport to turn the big tractor, you know, around. You just, you know, the baby spins around and you're going the other direction. Cut mowing time in half. No joke, last year, when the summer arrived and we had to mow the first time, Brother Charles, I went to the garage to get the zero turn out and I put the key in, it started, I mean, she started right up. Started backing it out. Left front tire had gone flat. It had evidently been flat, you know, for months during the cold winter months. And it, I mean, it was just, and so when I'm backing out, it slid at first, you know, it was sliding and then it made its first turn and it was doing this. And I thought, oh my soul, we got a flat tire. Preacher, it was a Friday. I had to leave on Saturday to go preach somewhere. I've got six acres to mow and I didn't have time to get that mower you know, jacked up on something because I don't have an air pump or you know, to pump it up myself. Didn't have time to get jacked up, take the wheel off, take it and get it repaired. So listen how stupid this was. Here's what I think. If I can get it going forward, pretty soon if it rolls enough, the flat part will come out of it. <laughs> Miss Tammy, that's what my wife did, ultimately. <laughs> ultimately, she laughed, not at first. So I get the thing going forward, Brother Jeff, and it's sliding, you know, it's sliding. Finally, it made its first turn, and you know, we got a little momentum. And so it, boom, boom, boom. And I thought, you know, if I keep doing this, after a while, it'll level out. It didn't. <laughs> so I'm mowing the front yard. You know, I made two passes. On my third pass, I look over at our big picture window. My wife's standing there like this going. <laughs> she comes to the front door. She said, what are you doing? I said, well, honey, I don't have time. To t it'll take me two hours you know, to get this thing repaired. And I don't have two hours. I got to get the yard mowed. She said, just pump it up. I said, I can't. We don't have a pump. She said, we have one in the garage. It's a bicycle pump. <laughs> So preacher, I'll go get it, attach it. Get that baby pumped all the way up. Man, she's moving. 
two laps. We're back down. Do you know what I did for about five hours? I'd pump that baby up. She'd go two laps and then all day long I'm going. You know what your preacher does not need after this revival? So he doesn't need to be coming to you all the time doing this. Getting you pumped up and then you go for a couple of weeks and then you're acting up again. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Man, we just need to stay pumped up. Can I hear an amen? Just be faithful. Be faithful. Wow. Look at the rest of it. Be faithful, number two. Not just... Not uh, slothful in business, lagging in your diligence. Look again at verse number 11. Fervent in spirit. Now you've probably figured out my outline. Number one, be faithful. Number two, be fervent. Be fervent. Do you know the word fervent literally means boiling hot? Preacher, it's the Greek word zestos. It's the word we get zeal from. Boiling hot. Fervent. Boiling hot in your spirit. Can I hear an amen? Listen, folk, I, I, I'm tired of doing this. I've, wa- I've watched people do this down through the years. They'll sit in church with their arms folded like a bump on a log. Impress me. But they go to the NC State football game and they yell and scream like a banshee. Go, Wolfpack. Brother Jeff, when the Panthers first came to town, we had some guys in our church, a couple, sweet couple, wonderful couple. They said, we've got season tickets right behind them, right behind them. Do you want to go? I said, sure. So we go. When they started the wave, you know how they, they were up, woo! Second pass, woo! I'm looking at my wife, I'm going, honey, what what happened to them? Because they sit in church like this. Look, what I figured out is this. If I can get excited at a ball game, and I do. You're right. Hey, if I'm going to pay money, I'm going to get my money's worth. I go, I yell and scream, roll tide. I mean, I do, I do. My brother, who when he coached high school basketball, he loved it. He said, just come sit on the end of the bench with the team and just do what you do. I said, what does I do you want me to do? He said, just yell and scream and get on the ref and do all that kind of, I mean, I didn't curse at him or anything like that. I mean, it wasn't bad, but I mean, ref, what's wrong? You know, and he'd just say, just do that. The players will love it. So that's what I do. You know what, folk, I got to thinking, if I can get excited about a temporal ball game, I ought to get eternally excited about the truth of God. This is the Bible we're talking about. This is eternal stuff. What is wrong with us? There are churches all over this country. Pastor, I was in a church not long ago and a guy just did this. He went, wow, glory. And everybody turned, where'd that come from? Shocked him to death. Wow. By the way, there's a church over in Virginia. It's got an African-American community in the church. I mean, a sizable amount. And you know what they'll do, Brother Brown? I mean, they'll get you preaching. There's a guy about, you know, halfway back on the right-hand side. He'll go, amen, just like that. Amen. Not, amen. Amen. You know, like, y'all ever done that? One, two, three, let's try it. That sounds good. There's a guy over here on the left that'll do this. That's right. That's right. Let's try that on three. One, two, three. Good. There's a guy over here all the way to the left. He'll do this. Load the wagon, preacher. Load 
the wagon. <laughs> Man, that'll ignite a preacher, I'm telling you. Let's try that on three. One, two, three. Load the wagon, preacher. Do that on Sunday. There's a guy down here on the front row, and here's what he does. He doesn't say, hey, man, or that's right, or load the wagon. He just does this one. My, 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 my. <laughs> Can we try that one on three? One, two, three. My, 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 my. Y'all are awesome at that. Hey, implement that from time to time. Can I hear an amen? Wow. Folks, listen, what I'm trying to say is this. We're dealing with eternal truth here. You think we ought not be excited about that? Fervent. By the way, preacher, that same word that's translated fervent here is used three other places in the New Testament. It's used where the Bible says Jesus walked into the temple and he cleansed the temple. Do you remember the passage? Yeah, he walked in and Jesus said, they've, they've turned my father's house, which should be a house of prayer, into a house of merchandise. Get this, brother Jeff, with his own hands, the Bible says he fashioned a cord. He fashioned a whip. That is, he took time, Brother Brown, to make it. He didn't do this on the spur of the moment. He knew exactly what he was doing. Amen. He fashioned a whip. Yes, sir. And with that whip, he, <laughs> he separated Jews from their money. If you've ever tried that, folk, you know what a task that is. And with his bare hands, he overturned the tables of the money changers. By the way, folk, I'm so tired of seeing that, that middle, uh, you know, what is it, uh, the, the, the picture of Jesus where he looks like a woman that comes from the Middle Ages. It's a Middle Ages painting where his skin looks perfect. And it looks frail, almost womanly. You know, Jesus didn't look anything like that. He was a carpenter's son. I think he had rippling muscles in his arm. He had to. Most Bible scholars say those tables weighed about 200 pounds. He turned them over by himself. And then he said this, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. And his disciples said, Jesus, what are you doing? And he says, have you not read? And he quotes the Old Testament. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Wow. Tells me Jesus was fervent about the place of worship. Can I hear an amen? You know what you ought to be? You ought to be fervent about the place of worship. Ferv- That's why people don't want to leave at night. Because you love being here. Folk, you don't know how many times down through 36 years I've been in churches and the minute the amen said, people are out the door. There's something good going on when people want to just camp out and hang out and sing around that piano I saw on Facebook a couple of nights ago. Wow, we ought to be fervent about the place of worship. Number two, we ought to be fervent about prayer. Do you know the book of James says the effectual, what kind of prayer of a righteous man? Fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes or avails much. James 5, 16. You know why our prayers aren't answered a lot of times? Because we don't pray fervently. Preacher, when's the last time? Praying for revival. We really wept tears and begged God. Man, this week we've seen some, Saturday we saw it in D.C. as 50 to 100,000 people on their faces on the National Mall. You could hear weeping and crying and begging, confessing sin and begging for revival. God's got to do something. Amen. He always moves when people pray that fervently. Yes, sir. 
Amen. Fervent about the place of worship. Fervent about prayer. Number three, I think we ought to be fervent about preaching. I wish I had time to turn you to the book of Acts where Barnabas is mentioned, the encourager. The Bible says he, he didn't know everything. And Priscilla and Aquila took him aside and expounded. You remember this? They expounded to him the way of God a little more perfectly. But what he knew, the Bible says he did it this way. He spake and taught the Holy Ghost, or spake and taught the Holy Word with fervency. He didn't know everything, but what he knew, he was passionate about it. Wow. 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 Folks, listen to me. When the last amen is said tonight, I hope you'll make a decision to be faithful. Don't you lag in your diligence. Hope you'll make a decision to be fervent. And number three, I hope you'll make this one. Look at the last phrase of verse 11, Romans 12. Not slothful in business, not lagging in your diligence. Fervent, boiling hot in your spirit. Serving who? The Lord. Would you say it again? Serving who? The Lord. <laughs> Folk, look. I said it the other night, but I want to put an underline on it, exclamation point on it. I love you. But I'm not here to please you. Amen. In fact, the Bible says this, Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man bringeth a snare. Amen. You know what that literally means in Hebrew? The fear of man ties your hands into a noose. Listen to me, young people, mom, dad, doesn't matter what your age is. If you live your life controlled by what other people think about you, you'll be powerless to accomplish anything for yourself and certainly for God. That's good, preacher. The Bible also says this in the New Testament. If I seek to please men, Paul said, I cannot be the servant of Christ. Do you know what I decided? I got one person to please. I hadn't got a thing to prove to anybody. By the way, I first heard that when I was working out in the gym in college. I had a friend I told you about. I think I mentioned it here. Anyway, he, he used to date my, my, my wife, Betsy, whenever we were all still single. He, was, he, he dated her and he made the mistake of telling me that they had broken up. And man, I moved right in. I just did. Okay. Man, you don't let a good thing get away from you, you know. So I moved right in, and of course, you know, I think uh, he's regretted his decision, and I've not regretted mine, but anyway, we were down working out in the weight room, and, and we were talking about, you know, both of us called to preach, and, you know, he was doing some, you know, on the bench press, and he dropped it on the, you know, on the rack behind him, slid to the end of the bench, and he said, preacher, he said, we got to decide something before we ever get out into the ministry full time. I said, what's that, Bill? He said, preacher, we got to decide. We got one person to please and nothing to prove. I said, say that again. He said, we got one person to please and nothing to prove. I grabbed a wooden pencil lying there where a guy was keeping a chart of his exercise routine. And I just grabbed a piece of paper off the end of that chart, just a tiny little scrap of paper, and I wrote it down. I got one person to please, nothing to prove. When I got home, I wrote that with a pen in my Bible. And I've put it in every Bible I've used since. I got one person to please. Parentheses, King Jesus. I don't have anything to prove to anybody. Mm, that's good preaching. One person to please, nothing to prove. One person to please, nothing to prove. Folk, I'll tell you what, you make that decision, it stands you in good stead. Amen. When pressure comes, and it will. I was preaching over in Raleigh. Preacher, that church had set of pews here, middle aisle, set of pews there, and they had a little alcove over here. It looked like a choir loft. It wasn't. It's just they put that on to add you know, extra space for people to sit. And my wife told me, Later, she said, never preached before. Very dignified church. You know, first judge. Very dignified. There's a lady sitting on the front row. 
My wife was sitting where you are, Brother Jeff, and to her left, two seats over, was the pastor. And the lady over here, my wife said, was doing this. Trying to get the pastor's attention. He looked over at her, and she did this. She went, I don't like him. I don't like him. My wife said, honey, I don't think she liked you. You know what, folks? I'm not there to please her. And I'm not trying to make an enemy of her either. But you know what? Truth will divide. Truth will divide. I don't mean we ought to purposefully try to create an adversarial attitude toward people. I don't do that in D.C. But folks, sometimes when you stand for truth, there's no other option but for people to leave you. I want you to understand the Apostle Paul when he wrote this to the Romans, serving the Lord. He knew what he was talking about. All men, Paul said elsewhere, have forsaken me. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. No man stood with me. Oh, you think about being in jail. Nobody's standing with you. All people for... You know how Paul encouraged himself? Same way David did in the Old Testament. He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Amen. Amen. What I'm trying to say is this. All that really matters when the final amen is said tonight is who are we pleasing? And if it's Jesus, we're a success. So we need to be faithful We need to be fervent. Number three, I hope you'll write this down. We need to be focused and understand we're serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. One of these days, I'm going to exit this life and preach her more than I want to take my next breath. At 61 years of age, more than ever, more than I want to take my next breath, I want to hear this from the lips of my Savior. Well done. Good job. Faithful servant. Come on in now and enjoy the joy of your Lord. Wow. If that happens, it's worth it all. Serving the Lord. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes tonight if you'd be so kind as to do so. Father, would you speak to us clearly and powerfully tonight? Lord, this is an incredible chapter, Romans chapter 12. Our relationship to you, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Our relationship to a lost world, Romans 12, 17 to 21. But sandwiched right in the middle is our relationship with other believers, Romans 12, 3 to 16. Lord, we're different. We have different functions, different giftings. We're to play our position, the one you've given us. But how we're to play it is found in Romans 12, 11. We're to be faithful, we're to be fervent, and we're to be focused. Father, help us, I pray tonight, because the future of this church, and Lord, really, to a large degree, what happens with respect to revival is dependent upon us, because Lord, I know you want to send the revival. The question is, are we willing to do what's necessary for you to bestow it upon us? 
Father, may we be at the place tonight where we're willing to say, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready. Send the revival. Now, friends, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, revival has been a study of mine for 36 years. I've been in Wales and stood inside the church where the Welsh revival of 1904 began. I've stood on the corner of 6th and Market Street in the city of Philadelphia for one of the greatest revivalist preachers. By the way, his image showed up on the screen tonight. I don't know if you even caught it. But during that powerful video, his image showed up just briefly. His name was George Whitfield. He was a close friend of Ben Franklin, one of our founding fathers. And George Whitfield stood on the corner of 6th and Market Street in the city of Philadelphia and without aid of an amplification system at all, just a booming voice, he preached and Ben Franklin was in the audience. And with his mechanical mind, Franklin began to assess two square feet per person and assessed estimated that there were 20,000 people standing there listening to Whitfield preach and every one of them heard him and Whitfield had no amplification system. What a voice, a God-given voice. Folk, I've been a student of revival for a long time. I'm here to tell you God wants to send revival. He is not the bottleneck. We are Someone said to me, but preacher, revival is the sovereign work of God. And I said, it sure is. God is the one who sends it. But that in no way minimizes our responsibility to be in a place where we can be the recipients. One of the greatest congressmen in Washington, D.C. is Louis Gomert from Texas. And he said this to a group of preachers we had up there not long ago. He said, men, if you're hiding behind the sovereignty of God as an excuse not to do what you need to do, that's like leaning on a shovel and praying for a hole to appear. You've got the shovel, do something about it. And God will endue you with his strength to dig the hole. We can pray all we want to pray for revival and we should. But the question I have tonight is this, are we ready? Are we in a place where we can be the divinely ordained recipients of revival? Because we're faithful, fervent, and focused. Now tonight, I'm gonna lay a simple proposition before everybody in this room. And folks, this may be the most important service of the entire week. This is man up time in a big way. If you've understood what's been said tonight and you'd be willing to say not to me, not to your dear pastor, but to your Lord. Lord, I understand. Romans 12 are three relationships I have with you, with the lost world and with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I have a position to play in 2020 going into 2021. I have a position to play and Lord, you've told me how I'm to play it. I'm to be faithful, I'm to be fervent, I'm to be focused. And Lord, if you'll help me, and trust me, God will. Lord, I'm making a decision tonight, a deliberate choice to be faithful to you, fervent about you, 
and focused on you when the last amen is said tonight. Lord, I'm making a deliberate decision to be faithful to you. None of this up and down, (laughs) gotta constantly be pumped up. No, 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 I'm gonna be faithful to you no matter what comes. I'm gonna be fervent about you. By the way, Paul told Timothy, stir yourself up. Stir up yourself. Preacher, how do you keep stirred up? Well, obviously it's great to be around other brethren, but there's a lot of times, folk, I'm by myself a lot and I'm traveling, I'm giving out, giving, have to keep myself stirred up in the Lord. Can I hear an amen? It's my responsibility. It's also yours. Be fervent. And then be focused. Faithful to him, fervent about him, focused on him. Now here's the question. If you're willing to say, God, I'm gonna be those three things. I'm making those three choices tonight. To be faithful to you, fervent about you, focused on you. When the last amen said tonight, Lord, until you come back to take me home, I'm making my choice in those three areas tonight. If you'd be willing to say that, make those choices to the Lord and mean it from the depths of your soul, I'm gonna ask you to do something and don't wait for somebody else. I'm gonna ask you to get up from where you're seated right now and make your way around this altar. And with your head bowed, kneeling, standing, sitting one of the chairs in the front that are vacant, just tell God, I'm gonna be faithful to you after tonight. I'm gonna be fervent about you after tonight. I'm gonna be focused on you. Understanding I serve you, no one else. My desire is to please you. If somebody else is upset, that's okay. Now, I'm not gonna go about trying to make them upset, but my focus is on pleasing you. I'm gonna be faithful to you, fervent about you, focused on you after tonight. For this is the key to what God has done and is doing in our church and in our lives to it continuing. Faithful to you, fervent about you, focused on you. While these are praying here, I want to pose one final question. Is there anyone in the room tonight? You do not know for sure that if your life were to unexpectedly end this evening on the way home, you do not know that you're going to heaven. You don't have absolute assurance that you're saved, your sin's forgiven, and that when you die, heaven's going to be your eternal home. If you don't know absolutely for certain that you're saved, but God's been speaking to you and you're concerned about your eternal future as you should be. I wonder if you're concerned enough tonight to let this preacher who's poured his heart out to you tonight pray for you. Not by using your name. God knows your name and everything else about you. I just like to pray that before it's too late, you'll be saved. Is there anyone like that in the room? And right now you'd lift your hand long enough for me to see it. And by lifting your hand, you're saying, preacher, you're talking to me. I'm not sure I'm saved. Not sure when I die, I'm going to heaven. But yes, I'd like you to pray for me. Is there anyone like that? Father, I pray tonight. First and foremost, for anyone, Lord, perhaps watching by via the internet live stream that does not know for sure they're on their way to heaven. Father, I pray they would understand that right where they are, they could bow their head and they could simply pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I understand I cannot save myself. But Jesus, I believe with everything that's in me that you died, you were buried, 
and you rose again the third day to forgive my sin. Right now, I'm asking you to forgive me and come into my heart and life and save me. Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. Use me now the rest of my life until you call me home to be with you. Lord, I pray if there are those that prayed that prayer or will pray that prayer watching this live stream later. Father, I pray that understand if they meant that from the depths of their soul, Lord, you promised him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. May they understand, Lord, that you have forgiven them if they meant that with all their heart. I pray they'd reach out to Calvary Baptist, Pastor Steve, or to me, and just let us know of their decisions so we might rejoice with them. Then, Lord, I pray for those who have knelt, some perhaps still kneeling around this altar. Grant them the desires of their heart. And Father, may this church be, when the last amen is said tonight, May it be in the days ahead, weeks ahead, months ahead, however long we have till you come back to take us home. May we be what you want us to be. And Lord, may we be the recipients of the revival for which we have so often besought your face. And Father, may we be usable, pliable, moldable in your hands in that revival in ways beyond anything we've ever even dreamed. And Father, for what you do, we'll give you the glory and the praise because Jesus, you alone are worthy. For it's in your name, the name that is above every name, the name before whom all will bow one day and all will confess that Jesus, your Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We ask it in that name. And all God's people who prayed with me said, 